Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, my friends. Thank you for joining me again today for another wonderful episode of the Janice Dean podcast. One of my favorite things to do when I am not working is reading. I go through a book a week and I really look forward to settling in with that good book right before I go to bed at night. I've tried to instill that in my own children and over the years we've had quite the book collection. Recently, I asked some of my mom friends if they had any suggestions on what we could do and where we could go to donate our books, especially the ones that my boys have grown out of. One of my friends suggested a group called The Book Fairies on Long Island, where I live, and I fell in love with this organization as soon as I checked out their website. I reached out to see if I could feature The Book Fairies on the podcast, and volunteer Eileen Minogue graciously said she would come in, and we had a fascinating conversation on how important a place like Book Fairies is for our community, our children, teachers, and parents. And I do remember the saying from Dr. Seuss, the more that you read, the more things you will know, the more that you learn, the more places you will go. Not only did I learn a lot about books, but Eileen also tells us how important books are in a child's early life. I think you'll really love our conversation. Eileen, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. I like to say to all of our guests that you made the Dean's List. Woo, that's exciting. <laughs> well, Book Fairies made the Dean's List. Book Fairies. But because absolutely. you're part of that wonderful organization, everyone made the Dean's List. I'm happy to take it for them. <laughs> so tell me, first of all, what Book Fairies is. We are a nonprofit that sources and redistributes books to under resourced children on Long Island and New York City um, to provide equitable access to books so that they can learn, grow, and thrive. How long have you been doing it for? Uh, the Organization is going to be 11 years old this year. Wow. And how long have you been with them? I've been with them for four years. Okay. And what's your background? I was um, an accidental nonprofit leader. Um, (laughs) I actually am from Massapequa and started a community fund with some of our local high school friends. And over the last 20 years, we've raised over $2 million that has gone back into the Massapequa community. And it was an all-volunteer run. Um, And then from there, I was co-founder of an organization called Patient Airlift Services, which provides um, air transportation and private aircraft for individuals that uh, live outside of where their treatment would be. Kids coming from Virginia, soldiers going to remote locations. locations, Yeah. And and then from there, uh, the founder of Book Fairies was looking for an executive director. She said within three hours, someone had three people had given her my name. And the rest is history. I'm with the Book Fairies and I love it. It's so positive. I I loved my other job. It was very fulfilling, but it was very heart tugging um, and emotional when you're dealing with kids with cancer and veterans that are that are suffering. And um, there's nothing negative about this. It's just all positive. 
it's really just an all positive organization. So I found you through Mommy Friends uh, <laughs> because we have a lot of books. We're very fortunate. We love books. Um, I love to read. My husband loves to read. So we like to pass that on with our kids. Um, and we donate the books, you know, and um, we had a bunch of them. And I texted my mommy friends and said, we have so many books in our garage. Does anyone know a place where we can send them? And at the time, there was somebody in my son's class that was doing a book drive. So he got the couple of boxes that we had in the garage. But then I got the text from another mommy friend that said, look at this organization. They're called Book Fairies and look at what they do. And I just fell in love. I fell in love. First of all, the name Book Fairies is amazing. Um, But just what this organization does. I mean, tell me more about how it works. Uh, well, first of all, it started with Amy Zeslansky. She, uh, you know, I stand her, on her shoulders as the executive director. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her and her vision um, and taking action. She read about a teacher who didn't have enough books in her classroom to um, serve appropriately and teach appropriately. And she said, well, I have books, much like you just said. I have books. Where can I, what can I do with them? Yep. And she collected about 3,000 books in that one instance. But what she learned was the, the whole was bigger than that one teacher. Mm. And what she learned was that there's so many schools here on Long Island in New York City, there are, there are classrooms that do not have enough books for their children, um, that there are actually schools that do not have functional libraries, And she started, you know, one van load at a time trying to fill the hole. And we're 11 years this year, and we've distributed over 3.7 million books. Oh, my goodness. It just, it brings tears to your eyes because, you know, we're out here with our kids, you know, doing what we can, uh, and we forget about these things, you know, and then you have a stack of books that you want to give away, and you don't quite know what to do with it, and then you realize that there is a great need for more people to do this. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the hole is so big because so many of the students that they're serving don't even have books in their homes. Oh. During the pandemic, we had teachers coming to us in desperate need because they had students that were home. They were giving them teach learning assignments uh, and homework assignments, and the students were like, I don't have a book to read. Oh. Uh, you know, and so so these educators that we serve um, came to our our organization during COVID. We gave them any books that they wanted and they would take them home during COVID. You know, we didn't know. So they were wiping down the books and they were hand delivering books to the students' homes. Educators have gone through the ringer in the last couple of years, ups and downs, you know, first you're a hero, then you're not. Um, And I just want to shout out to all the educators that we serve, that we don't serve, that are out there every day, plugging away, trying to do what they can to get these kids to to learn and read. Um, It's, really not okay that the kids don't have books in their homes. So kindergarten to, uh, I'm sorry, newborn to kindergarten to first grade, could you imagine not having a book in your home? No. Not being able to read to your child at night? It's heartbreaking. Parents are choosing between food or or a roof over your head and a book, and books are expensive. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So how does it, so you get a call and you'll go get the books, or how do people bring the books to you? Absolutely. So there's a number of ways in we get books. We have uh, 
like the student you were talking about that yes. was doing a, in a uh, book drive. We have schools that do book drives. We have corporations that do book drives and even just regular individuals. But um, then there are people such as yourself. They have books and they don't know what to do, so they bring them to our warehouse. Um, and we also have corporations that have remote drop sites. So um, Dairy Queen in Massapequa has a oh. re- remote drop site so that you could just – when you're there, you just drop your books. And then we have – what what Amy did was brilliant in my mind. We don't have a truck. We don't currently own a truck. So we move about – we take in about 750,000 books a year and are currently distributing about 600,000 books um, without a truck. How does that happen? Yeah. So she partnered with special needs individuals. So they have vans. It's called Program Without Walls, and they have these vans. And you might see them in a mall or, or like a park, and they're doing fun things. Um, but they volunteer with us on a daily basis. Oh. And they go. They would go to your house, and they would pick up – if you have five or more boxes, copy paper-sized boxes, they'll go and they'll pick up the books. And um, – it's such an incredible partnership because they love it, we love it, and we move so many books because of them. So that's how books come into us. Um, and then once we get them, we have thousands of volunteers that come in throughout the the, um, the uh, year, and we sort them for age and condition. Books come in. Sometimes people give us books that are water damaged, moldy. Yeah. Not in good shape. Right. Um, we re- recycle them. So they're not in the landfill. We recycle about 12 tons of books a year. How do you do that? We have a recycling company that we pay for to come to our, our Freeport book bank. And they, you know, we have five toters full of books that are uh, recycled, you know, and emptied two to three times a week. Oh, my goodness. So that's one place. Um Books come in that are really well-loved, like, say, a Harry Potter or a Curious George or something like that that's just really well-loved. We've tried to give them out here uh, in this area. Amy has tried to give them out here in this area, but the kids weren't going for them. They wanted to be prideful in the books that they were taking and reading because we were were giving them to own, right? So we want them to feel prideful. Um, We have a partnership with uh, U.S. Africa Children's Fellowship, and about 130 to 150,000 books a year go over to build libraries in Zimbabwe, oh. Kenya, oh. Somaliland. I want to say that we're a small organization. When I got there, there was one part-time employee four years ago. We're now two full-time, three part-time employees, but the rest of it is built on Amy's back and on the volunteers that come in every day and help us, whether it's our special needs organization partners or our daily retired teachers and retired yeah. office people who come in and, and or, or students. Um, so it's really quite impressive. Uh, books that don't go in recycling or overseas, they're sorted by um, category, board books, chapter books, all the way up to adult. And then we box them up. And then once a month, we invite educators into our, our warehouse, and they shop like a old record store, and they pick the books that they want. Um, but I want to say that this is usually typically takes place on a weekend day. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about educators who are taking their day off, and they're coming to our warehouse to get the tools that they need to teach their children. I'm not sure of many other jobs where you have to actually go out on your day off to get the resources you need to fulfill your job. Oh, my goodness. Now, has it gotten worse since the pandemic? It, yeah, it was worse. It was worse. You know what? There, it was a. Uh, we saw like an up and down because what happened was that it, they were going, they were coming at us like crazy, and we were doing the best we could uh, during the height of the pandemic that year, twenty twenty. We distributed only like four hundred and fifty thousand, which are are prior to that it was like five fifty, almost six hundred. Mm. Um, but we were doing it on 
social distancing. Yes. You know, so I'm impressed with our team that we were able, it almost broke us really because it was just, we're so small and we're just, you know, doing a lot, small but mighty, I say all the time. But what happened was this, the teachers at a certain point, I, I we felt it last year where they just were mentally couldn't do that above and beyond, couldn't come to us for that above and beyond because they were just yeah. done. They yeah. were done. But they're coming back. They're passionate as ever. They are, um, we cry in the warehouse. You know, they're, I'm like, I'm crying. I, I could cry in a heartbeat. But when I see like really good being done, I like, I just want to do more. You know, and when you're around them, you want to do more. When you're around nasty and not good, you just, yeah. you go down with it. Everybody goes down with it. it. It's nature. It's human nature. You can't help it. But when you're around good, you want to do good. And it's so impressive. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's so true. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We need to hear about more of these kinds of organizations. And if we hear about them, then we want to help them, right? Yeah. And I didn't know, and I'm so grateful that I found out. And just the history, I mean, how does she do it? How do you operate something like this without a lot of funding? When I came, and that was one of the really things, and I, I have the most utmost respect for Amy Zislanski because she really truly is in this for her heart and really wants to just get books in the hands of kids and, um, you know, did an incredible job with the programs, but we really didn't have funding when I came. And that's really what I've been investing my last four years in is creating the infrastructure so that we can grow. Okay. Um, and that's really what we've been doing. We, I get grants from foundations and corporations support us uh, in a great way. Amazon has been jumping in and Target and PC Richard have just been tremendous. And, um, and then individuals. Individuals are incredible. Uh, people that donate books, maybe they'll donate some money. Um, and so now we we have the f technology infrastructure and we have the funding infrastructure and I've been able to invest back into the organization and we're poised to, our goal is to grow to a million books uh, distributed a year within the next four to five years. Mm. Tell me about some of the stories. Like, do you see some of the kids that get the books? Oh, yes, we do. Um, we actually, the first time year we were there, we did a Guinness World Record. We are the Guinness World Record holders. You are? We are. We have a We're the longest line of books. Um, How did that work? It was chaotic and crazy. <laughs> Um, it was over 30,000 books, over uh, 3.1 miles of books all laid out. Um, laid out outside? It, we actually, there's two schools in Wine Danch in okay. on Long Island yep. that butt up against each other. You never have to go out. Okay. So we used those two schools and we did it in like, we had like three hours that we were able, <gasps> allotted to do it. It was chaotic. Um, but you did it. But we did it. And what happened was at, at the teachers and the uh, the principal said, you're going to have to pull all the books up. I was like, oh, gosh. Um, but as soon as they saw all the books on the floor, they let us leave them there. And then Amy and I were able to go in the next day and see the kids come in with all these books. Oh. They were able to take as many books as they wanted. And these little babies, like, you know, uh, first graders with as many books as they can. And they're, and they're going through and they're saying... 
uh, this is for my sister, this is for my auntie, this oh. is for this, this is for that. They weren't about themselves. They were trying to get for their whole family. Um, it was emotional, to say the least, and just the, they were cra- craving for them. We get to do free book fairs, almost like a scholastic book fair. Yeah. And we go into the schools, and the kids normally at a scholastic book fair can't afford it. Right. So when we come in, they don't understand, and they think that they can't pay for it, so that oh. they're hesitant to take the books. So then we say, you can take it. You can have two books of your own, whatever you want to choose. Oh. They're brand new books. They inevitably, I'm telling you, they take the books, and they hold them to their chest like they oh. are in love. Like They just hold them to their chest, and they're like, I can keep these? They're mine? And we're like, yeah, you can bring them home. Share them with your brother, your sister, oh. whoever. It's just, and then we have teachers that literally cry with us. <laughs> they just sit there and they say, I can't do my job. They're afraid to give the kids books to take home because they know they're not going to come back. The odds are they're not going to come back. Right. So we say, build your library and then let's give you extra. So then that extra is what you send home. And, and now we're building home libraries. We're building school libraries and we're trying to, and classroom libraries, and we're trying to help them build school libraries as well. Wow. That's unbelievable. It's just... One book can just make somebody's future. It it changes their worlds. It changes their worlds. We work with um, the Brooklyn Library, and we provide soft-covered books for um, Rikers Island. You know, you talk about the recidivism rates. And, and listen, let's just talk about one in four New Yorkers is illiterate. Like, let that sink in. One in four New Yorkers is illiterate. And the likelihood of kids not reading, if they're not reading by the time they're in third or fourth grade, they're two-thirds more t- likely to be on welfare, in jail, or I say worse. And that's not fair to those kids. Let's just give them – I always say I can't change all the crazy that's going in the world. <laughs> Believe me. we None have, of us can. Oh, my gosh. My, my <laughs> staff and I, we sit there and go, what is going on? And we always say let's you know keep our guardrails up, keep the blinders on, and let's do one thing. If we can fill access to books as a barrier to achieving literacy, then we've – checked off one thing and then the educators have the tools that they need the kids have the tools that they need in their homes and that's just one thing and then hopefully everybody else is filling in the other you know pieces of the pie but the the needle hasn't changed with the statistics of children who are not reading and um, it's just getting worse and so many kids are coming in and they don't even speak English so the teachers are tasked with kids that speak English, don't speak English, and they're trying to figure out um, our biggest request is for books in Spanish, which we don't have. Mm. Um, I don't really have funding to buy books. You know, 90% of the books that we give away are um, gently used, donated books. Mm -hmm. But last year I spent $10,000 alone just on um, high interest and diverse books so that we call them mirror books so that the kids can see themselves in the book. Yes. Um, They want to see a reflection of themselves. And there's a lot more of them coming out, which is a great thing. Um, and they're choosing just the lighthearted ones that reflect them. They don't really want the political crazy stuff. Yep. They want lighthearted seeing themselves. But they still go for Dork Diaries and Diary Wimpy Kid. You know, everybody wants those fun fun books. But um, normally buying at least $10,000 worth of books a year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And what... I love that you go into a place every day that does good. You know, that's something that we need more of and that maybe people need to think about changing their life to include something like that to help them. I agree. Um, First of all, I love it. It fills me up. 
all the time. And like I said, I need, you know, I like to be filled. I like to do good. It's innate in me. I've been doing it since I'm a kid. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm the youngest of nine. My mother was always like, go help this neighbor. Go help that neighbor. neighbor. <laughs> um, but I think people, it would serve people well mentally if you are focusing on someone else's issues. Mm. And I think so often now, uh, younger kids and, and, and even adults, they're so focused on themselves and what they're going through that they don't realize that um, if they just gave out a little bit and thought outwards, check it. I know people are going through a lot, but check it to your side and just see who you can help. You will feel so much better. Yes. It will. It, it's not going to cure everything, but it's going to cure some some ailments. You know, yeah. it's going to make people just realize, you know, life is not that bad. My life is not that bad. Yes. So I just feel like providing opportunities. And we have the most amazing volunteers that come in and just roll up their sleeves. They don't get paid. Um, and they just do good. And they feel better. Good doing good. It yeah. just, it breeds that, you know, wanting to do more. Absolutely. It's like, I call it spreading sunshine. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do that. You know, when yeah. you do a good thing for somebody else, that person is more apt to probably do the same for someone else. And it really is sort of like, uh, you know, passing it along. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we've become a, we can go down all the <laughs> yeah, we can. crazy, um, but I just feel like, uh, people are just, you know, not thinking of the right things. And, and when you f- just see the negative, you're like, well, why am I trying? It's almost deflating. Why am I trying? Why am I still doing good? And you have to, sometimes you really have to dig deep when you're that kind of person. Yes. But I think that um, we just, and that's why I applaud you because you do focus on the good and we need more of that. We yeah. need just put the, sh- you know, put the sunshine on it. I should, you know, it's a, you know, get that sunshine and, 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 let people get out there and show the good that they're doing. And you're like me. I believe that most people are good people. <laughs> you know, I think that we live in a world where we are focused on the negative and we lose that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, every story that I feature is kind of like this. It's organic. And so when I hear about it, it makes me happy. It makes me want to spread that and talk more about these kinds of wonderful things that people are doing. And that might encourage other people because I feel like we're still sort of in this like weird time where, I don't know, in ways we kind of feel like we're trapped sometimes. Like it, people are on their phones and they're doing social media and just get out and do something. Get in your car, ride your bike, go do something kind for someone, and you might spend less time with the negative stuff. Exactly. I mean, what's nicer than, first of all, cleaning off your own bookshelves, right? Yes. Taking books that... It feels great. It's like cleansing. Yes. And then you know you're getting it into the hands of... I always say to the kids... I love the kids when they come in and they work with us, and we have tremendous kids that come in and really give me hope for the future. Um, What are the ages of the kids that they can come in 13 and up without a parent, but sometimes parents bring younger, younger uh, individuals, um, you know, six, seven. Um, But there's a kid, Tyler, that comes in on his weeks off on his summer. He gives me such hope for the future. But we talk to him and I say, you're helping your peers. So when you get a kid that understands he's helping his peers, That's just so heartwarming. As adults, we get it. We know we should give back. It takes us a long time. But when you get a kid that gets it, you yeah. just, 
Oh my gosh. I know. I feel like my Theodore would would just love doing something like this. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of kids do the book drives in their homes and then we train, you know, we have a video and they they sort them by the categories, which is fun for the kids to do and they box them up and then they come in and that speeds up our process. It enables us to get the books out quicker. So. Uh And there is something about a book. You know, I feel like even in the classrooms these days, everything is is now on the iPad. I think because of the pandemic, like my my oldest boy, you know, he does a lot of his lessons, most of his lessons on the iPad. And it there is something about a physical book, you know, having it in your hands, reading the words. I think there's even research that says reading books, you retain the information better than you would on a on a uh, an iPad or a you know something digital. You're 100% correct. There's a lot of studies out there that first of all tablets, computers, they have a place. They're you know there's definitely course. a place. Um, but children newborn through you know certainly 5 6 years old, they if they're on a tablet, they should be limited. Um, but they should be learning to read with books in their hands, learning how to flip. It's a tactile thing. Yes. There's so many studies out there. The blue light is is not good. Um, there's ADD issues with it, the inability to retain and go back and find um, information that they need. Mm. They're struggling with that. Yep. Um, and teachers, no. That's why teachers come to us because they know books are important. Uh, it was the first thing I said, to be honest with you, uh, when I came for my interview with Amy is, you know, how, what are you? What is the trajectory? Do you think books are going to be here for a while? She said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She says, I, I get, we get the pulse of the people who are working with it, and the teachers know books are important. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. I'm even starting to think I'm going to start writing letters to the the school saying we need to get back to the books and writing because I think they're not retaining that information as they should, as we did when we were growing up. No, it's I mean, there's so much to it. I mean, the ability to go back and flip back and forth and even penmanship, you know, like I. Anyway, I'm on a tangent, but I feel like we have to get back to these kinds of basics. And, you know, my fondest memories are when I'm reading to my kids. You know, I still do that with my 12-year-old. You know, we just read a book about Theodore Roosevelt, you know, like, and I sat there with him and I read the book. And there's something very comforting and connecting with doing that. It's it's an important bonding thing for parents, and that's why some of, like we work with some of the pediatric centers and the hospital centers, um, and we give them the books so that when the parents come in, it's an incentive for them to come in because they're getting something, but it's also they're getting the books, and hopefully they're teaching, you know, that mirroring. The kids can mirror what they're doing. Um, yes. It's such an important thing, and I can't imagine not being able to read oh. to a child or a kid not having a book. Listen, I'm a new grandmother, and... Mm. My daughter caught my granddaughter reading in her bed, you know, in her in her crib at night in the dark. You know, she was on the camera. She's flipping through her book. You know, she's a year and a half old, and I'm just I can't imagine that she lo- she's constantly bringing up the book to me and saying, you know, for me to read it, and we're counting and we're oh. doing all kinds of things. And so, as a grandmother, as a mother, my heart breaks. And I love that what we're doing is we're trying to provide that opportunity for other mothers, for other grandmothers, to be able to do that. And the, the books are coming in. There's no shortage of books. Our, our issue is we don't have enough warehouse space. You know, okay. we're short on warehouse space. Um, but we could take in tons more books. But I'm just trying to manage, you know, hold the spigot off so we're not drinking from the fire hose. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the books are there. So I know we can provide them. It's just being able to mm-hmm. plan 
thoughtfully, purposely get to the point where we're doing a million books without imploding. Um, but it's it's such a sad situation. And there's so many studies that say um, just the mere presence of books in a, in a child's home could be, you know, the equ- equivalent of extra years in school. Wow. Just having the presence of the books because they're going to pick them up. They're going to look at them. Yes. We're trying to create cultures of literacy within entire communities, um, the lower income communities that that are suffering. And what we're doing is we're in the school district and we have targeted schools and we've decided to do um, 10 books for every child in the elementary school. Two will be brand new that they self-select at those fairs. Yes. And then eight will be other books that they can select for their home libraries. And we're hitting them every year, year over year. So when I first came in, I said, we're kind of doing like a hit and run. You know, if we're in one school this year and then not again for four years, have we really filled the gap? Mm. So the goal is to to fill these targeted schools and then each year build out and put in another Title I school and another Title I school. So where every Title I school is getting 10 books for every kid. And then we work with the community where uh, Sir Shave in, in White Dance, he, he now has a um, bookshelf and he has, you know, books that when they come into the barbershop, they can pull a book out. And guess what? If they want to take it home, they can take it home because we're going to fill it up again. And then we're in, you know, the the Yes Community Council, uh, Yes Community Center in, in Westbury. Anywhere that we can create a culture of literacy, we're in some of the Long Island Railroad stations. If you wow. see, there's like, um, there's bookshelves. So those are adult books because we want the adults to be reading and showing uh, the children what they should be doing. Yes. And my thought was that if they don't have a culture of literacy at the home, they'll get it in the school because now the schools have the appropriate amount. If they don't have it and if the school is struggling, maybe when they go to the barbershop, if they're on the Long Island Railroad, anywhere we can create that cultural literacy, yes. we can we can change the tides. Yeah. But it takes a village and it takes a community to get behind it and everybody, you know, such as yourself, you were thoughtful enough to say, I'm not going to throw these in the garbage. No way. They're valuable and, they, and some people hold them for years years i'm like all right <laughs> oh no we love it we clear it out and hopefully make it you yeah know, new books coming in yeah some of, the, some of the moms i'm like how old is your kid and they're like 28 <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like you've Never had these for late. 20 years <laughs> let them go now are there other communities that have seen this model and want to do that in different cities and different states that's a great question because um my founder, Amy Zaslansky, uh, one of the first things I said to her was, is there a national, are we national organization that like we can umbrella under? Um, I'm always trying to, I always, my favorite saying is we all serve more powerfully when we work together. Yes. So I'm like, who else is doing what we were doing? How can we do best practices? Things like that. So we recently are working on starting an alliance um, for all the organizations, book provision organizations throughout the country to do that best practices to figure out what's working and what's not. Somebody wants to start up in Kentucky and doesn't know what to do. We're going to tell them, we're going to give you this in a bucket and say, this is what has worked for us. Mm. Here you go. Try and figure it out. You know, because every every region is different, certainly. Yes. yes. Um, and every place doesn't have the same distribution methods or the needs. So um, there's dozens and dozens of organizations throughout the country. that. So now we're trying, and Amy is spearheading that because she's just like, uh, you know, she's always just a do-gooder. And um, she's incredible. And we have an incredible group of other organizations that are going to help make it happen. And we're having um, a conference in March where about 80 80, 80 book provision organizations are going to get together. And we're going to talk about best practices. Oh, my goodness. I I just I love this so much. Now, if people are listening and they say, I want to help, what can I do? 
There's so many things. Well, first of all, if you have books on your shelves <laughs> and you don't know what to do with them, then find us. Yeah. We are, um, you know, our website is thebookfairies.org. And um, you, I systemically, I've been able to make it so easily. Hopefully it's turnkey that people can either drop off the books to either a drop site or our warehouse. Or if they have more than five boxes, we can pick them up and, you know, say hi to our special needs partners. They're incredible. Um, we need funding. Um, that's our top priority because we need to get a larger warehouse. Um, okay. We're in like about 2,000 square feet. If we could get 5,000, we'd be moving a million much quicker. Okay. Um, the hole is there. We can fill it. We just need people to really get embrace us. Um, volunteers, either in our book bank in Freeport or um, doing book drives in their homes. Yeah. Go to your circle of influence and say to them, you know, give me your books. And then individuals can also do fundraisers and donate. There's lots of... Um, fun things that they could do. We have a readathon coming up. We do it every year. And we have great authors that come in and do oh, live I readings. I love that. When's that coming up? In May. Okay, I'm I'm there. I know. I love it. Um <laughs> I love your Freddie books there. Freddie the Frogcaster. Yes. Yes. Well I'll you know what? I'll I'll get a few Freddie the Frogcasters for you guys. And you know what? I'm actually talking about writing another one. <laughs> that would be awesome because they're very um they, they teach great lessons. Yes. They're very um, animated. Uh, they're really great books. Aww. So, um, yeah, we would love it if you join it. I and what will we do make is. Sure, I'll bring lots of Freddie and I'll read Freddie and we'll spread Freddie. That would be fantastic because what we do is we do them live and on Facebook and our students that wouldn't maybe, you know, for yourself or yep. other 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 authors sometimes they charge money or whatever and they can't afford to have these Annie Barrows or or Nick Brule or you know Bad Kitty some some of those authors or yourself we do a live and then they're able to ask able to ask you questions um oh that's a great idea and so it would be a live feed you and i will be talking kind of like this but on facebook oh live. i love it so it's happening yeah that sign would be great. me up yeah that would be great and it's such it's such an animated fun book books you know um that i think the kids would really enjoy it oh i love i freddie the Frogcaster brought me such joy when i wrote it actually this is the 10th anniversary of the first book. Really? Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I wrote it during a time where I wasn't feeling great about myself. So I look back on Freddie like, ah, oh, it just was such a great moment because it just brought me great confidence in myself and um, just being able to teach kids about the weather. You know, it's something that connects all of us, which reading does as well, you know, Um so and uh, it's I feel like it's a teaching they're teaching but edu and fun in a fun way yeah. you know and um so much crazy going on with the weather oh uh, it's very true kids need to know about the weather yeah. absolutely so it kind of um I actually watched a YouTube where a really animated teacher was reading your book and, really yeah I will share it with you because oh. she was very animated very cute <laughs> and um. It was just, I'm like, I was so enthralled. <laughs> like, it was really. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, it touches my heart when I still get messages about, you know, people reading Freddie with their kids or teachers using it to talk about the weather in classrooms. I love going out to schools and talking about Freddie and weather. And I'm just really glad that that's going to happen again, you know, so. I don't know. This is maybe this is this is the yeah. beginning of something very. Special. I, I mean, I love it. Yeah, I love it because you know you would be reaching kids that you know really would embrace learning from someone such as yourself. Oh well, count me in. Yeah, I want to be part of this. All right. Okay. You're, right. You're in the readathon. It's all a great right. So thing. and everyone will learn about more when that happens. We'll make sure that uh, 
we bring the pro- podcast there and we talk to everybody that's there and 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 spread the word about uh, book fairies and how important it is to have books in our kids' lives. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most important things that you can do as a parent, really. It, it, it can change the trajectory of a life. Yes. It truly can. And one book... And there's no such thing as a reluctant reader. And, and this is actually Amy's phrase is that they just haven't found the right tool. Mm. It could be um, comic books or it could yes. be manga or it could be, you know, a lot of the kids that we're, we're working with now, especially since the pandemic, um, you know, they're in fifth, sixth grade. They're mm-hmm. reading on second and third grade levels. You know, so if we can get them engaged in, in a fun picture book series that really just gets them learning and, and growing, then that's, you know, it's just it's the way out. It, it changes, um, you know, the cycle of poverty. It does. You know, we everybody wants, um, you know, really to help and do the right thing. Then let's just change one thing and let's get every kid able to read. What would the world be like oh. if every child knew how to read? I'm optimistic, Eileen. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And I thank you for just all that you're doing to shine the light on on the good that's out there and giving us the platform to really raise awareness for book fairies because... Um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a heavy lift. We're small but mighty, but the more people we have around us, I know we're going to do a million books sooner than later. All right. Well, to be continued, because I'm going to be part of this, and I can't wait to do the readathon. Yay! <laughs> Eileen, thank you so much for being here, and... Uh... I don't know. I feel I feel like the sunshine has come through the studio. I really uh, do. That's you brought great. it today. Uh, thank you so much. You're doing good stuff. So do not change and keep going. Right back at you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Eileen Minogue, for joining us today on the Janistine Podcast. I learned so much, and I can't wait to read Freddie the Frogcaster during your readathon in May. If you would like to find out more about this amazing organization, you can head to their website, thebookfairies.org. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janistine on Twitter or Janistine FNC on Instagram, or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.